Hello and welcome to this PSG Think Big series podcast. In this program, Bruce Whitfield speaks to Anthony Leeming about the future of the tourism and hospitality industries. Welcome to our Think Big series brought to you by PSG. My name is Ronald King and I head up public policy and regulatory affairs at PSG. Now, as you should know by now, PSG is a leading financial services group with an extensive national footprint in South Africa, as well as a presence in Namibia. We've been in operation since 1998 and proud ourselves on providing a bigger picture approach to our clients' financial needs, from asset and wealth management to short-term insurance. We offer clients access to a wide range of insurance and investment products based on comprehensive advice. Our clients benefit from access to proprietary products and solutions, as well as a comprehensive list of third-party products. Now, the Think Big series is a collection of dialogues with leading speakers hosted by award-winning financial journalist, Bruce Whitfield. We aim to bring our audiences independent insights that help them formulate their own opinions on some of our country's most pressing issues. Uncertainty and challenges continue to abound, but armed with knowledge, we are better equipped to charge the way forward. The tourism and hospitality sector must be one of those most severely impacted by the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. In today's session, Bruce talks to Anthony Leeming about how Sun International has weathered the storm and the upcoming challenges facing the tourism and hospitality sector. Anthony was appointed as the Chief Executive of Sun International in 2017. Prior to his appointment, he was the group CFO and an Executive Director on the board since 1 March 2013. Anthony is the director of various group companies and has over 19 years of experience in the hotels, resorts, and gaming industries. Our social media campaign is hashtag ThinkBigBSG. The series is free, shareable, and open to anyone interested, whether you're a client of PSG or not. Over to you, Bruce. Thank you, Ronald, very much indeed. Anthony Lehman, nice to see you. Tourism, I mean, I'm surprised you're still sitting up straight. Tourism has probably been globally, and certainly in South Africa, the hardest hit industry of all industries as a result of nearly two years now of persistent in and out of lockdowns. Bruce, absolutely, it's been horrendous. I mean, four months have been closed, basically, um, four months over the last sort of 18. And on top of that, then you open up and you've got all sorts of restrictions. When you can't uh, have to close a hotel at 8 o'clock in the evening, nobody wants to come. So it's been very, very tough, very, very difficult. And then you've got conditions, trying to give your staff enough hours, enough work, um, trying to keep people satisfied, make sure the place is clean. There's a lot more going into it at the moment than there's ever been in the environment. So it's very, very difficult. So costs have rocketed, you know, I suppose, commensurately. I mean, it's been a, a scary time for costs and revenues have fallen off a cliff. Yeah, well, certain costs have gone up. I think uh, to survive this, you've had to bring costs down. So we went through quite an extensive program of bringing costs down. But I think our focus was really on how do we become a better company. It can't just be cost cutting, because ultimately we're going to get through COVID. And the first three months of lockdown, we spent an enormous amount of time on saying, what are we going to do? How do we get costs down? And I think the initial period was to reducing costs. And then it was really, how do we become better? So you spend a couple of months saying, what are we going to do? We have to cut. And then it was more about what are we going to do to make sure that Sun International comes out of this stronger, better company. So a lot of focus went into improving operations and not really just trying to cut. 
How do you do that, though? I mean, in a place with properties as vast as, say, a Sun City, everybody knows Sun City. Uh, many people will know the Wild Coast Sun. Many people will know many of the other properties that you own as well. How do you, uh, I remember Roy Anderson many years ago as president of the JSE and then Liberty and became a non-executive director of boards would say, you have to cut the fat, but if you cut too deep, you cut the muscle. How do you make sure you don't cut the muscle out of a business like Sun International, which is such a people-centered business? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it is about our people. And I think what happens over time, you generally overlap and you kind of uh, see, so you've got these overlaps, you've got areas where you can actually say, what do we do? How do we do it differently? How do we manage better? How many people do we actually need? We went through extensive exercise looking at every single part of the business. We also looked to outsource certain activities. So for example, at maintenance at Sun City, it's, a, it's not our core function. You know, we used to look in after guests, not after the, the pipes. So getting the right people to manage that was part of the process and other areas as well that were outsourced around the group, really looking after maintenance. And that's a critical component in some We all know in the past, you know, if you have a lot of guest complaints about rooms and air conditions and all of those sort of things, it impacts the guest experience. So a massive focus went in there and we really asked our group to benefit. Looking at the garden, seeing that, make sure that the service provider was doing them properly um, and make sure we're getting value for money. And I think it every single area. We did a lot of comparisons in terms of what we're paying around the group. We found a massive amount of savings and differences in where we are. We looked at our IT systems. Uh, we put in a new gaming system in, which is cheaper and we believe better going forward. So we'll take some time. We designed an app, which we're going to launch shortly for information, ultimately become more transactional. We launched a new booking engine. Um, so we've done a hell of a lot to really look hard at the business and say, how are we going to be better as I said? Was it a long delayed and long overdue process that you actually should have done under whatever normal is, circumstances? Yeah, I think since I took over, I think, you know, Sunshine was in quite a lot of pressure about four, four and a half years ago. We invested a lot of money in Times Square and we had quite high debt levels. So we started a process of really what we term getting back to basics and getting things right. And, and it was focused on the guest experience, focused on costs, focused on, on really getting things right. I think COVID had taught us a new lesson altogether. We really had to look a lot harder and a lot a lot smarter. Uh, we also had a new management team in place, a lot of new sort of operators, really good operators. I think we've got a strong management team now. I think that's made a massive difference when you relook at Sun City in particular and try to get things right. So having the right focus, right people uh, really made a massive difference. I mean, I don't know what it looks like more recently, but I recall in the past looking at Sun International's results one year and there was like a billion rands worth of turnover and 30 million rands worth of profit. Now, hey, if you've got 30 million, I'll take it. But it seemed like an awful lot of effort for a tiny little return. And um, it, it's, it's such a vast complex. And it's so institutionalized in South Africa over the last 50 years or so um, that it would be a shame to see it disappear off the, off the face of the earth. Is there a strategy long term to keep it and to keep it going absolutely, and yeah, we somehow firmly, to make it pay? Yeah, absolutely. We firmly committed to Sunset. We believe in the product and we believe it can be better than what it was. And really, that's where the focus is. So the board, um, our management team, we all absolutely focus on getting it right. And hence, a lot of the projects that have taken place, when we look back at what we made in 2019 with about 150 million EBITDA, the costs and efficiencies we put in place would have resulted in 330. And we believe an improved guest experience. There's no doubt if you go there now, the gardens have got the focus. If you went to the cascade, the rooms used to be quite dark because the vegetation is going up sort of 15 floors nowadays. So we thinned that out. We've got the lakes working properly. The water circulation was working. We fixed pipes in the valley of the waves. We did so much. The pump rooms. You could picture the old pump rooms with clean floors, everything perfect. We went in and we cleaned it all out. And so we 
we really focused on, on the back of house, and that is starting to impact the front of house. And obviously, garden, we've taken out the reeds in the lake, so the whole viewing view is much better. Um, just There's just so much that's happening at Sun City to make it a better place. We're starting the palace refurb shortly. We all know the palace has been desperate, but in tough times, you tend to defer these things. But it got to the point where we couldn't do any longer. We honestly believe that the palace will be re restored to its former glory and will be a place where internationals want to go and locals. And ultimately, you want to up the rate, improve the experience. Um, and that's what it's about. It's not about getting 90% occupancy in a place like the palace. It's about getting the guest experience right and getting a good rate uh, and at 60%. We're also going to put in a spa. We've been to the palace. It's not very nice going down all the way to the Gary Fair Country Club for spa treatment and then trekking all the way back up. And that will be coming online probably in about a year, a year and a half's time. So the experience of the palace is going to change. And that's just the starting point. We're looking at vacation club expansion. It's been extremely popular. We're running at very high occupancies. I think we'll talk, I'm sure, about changing tourism trends, but the weekend getaways are becoming very popular when you're stuck at home with your family the whole time and, and not getting away. Um, I think people are looking to take people out of the environments and everyone working from home. So leisure travel on weekends is proven very popular and I believe will be popular in the future. Sun City, though, is a capital-hungry beast. I remember just probably two years before we um, went into COVID, you spent a huge amount of money. And I'm going to say a billion rand, because I think that was a figure that was bandied about at the time. Huge improvement in conferencing areas, much more modern, much slicker, you know, really nice look and feel being brought in. And in order for that to pay off, you need to be hosting conferences, you need to be hosting meetings, you need to be hosting gatherings. Um, and that stuff just died. And so that investment is sort of sitting, mouldering, waiting for, I don't know, the sun to rise at some point. Uh, look, absolutely. I think when we first did it, and that was around, I think it was finished just after 2017, we had a really good year in 2018. We produced pretty good EBITDA. This is the conference side. Um, the cabanas as well, which was redone, the rate and occupancy was very high and really did very well. And we did the vacation club uh, refurb and the casino. So we did a lot for that billion and we started to do really well. 2019, the economy came under quite a lot of pressure. People cut back. So it was a bit of a tough year. And then we went, you know, 2020 and uh, we all know what happened then. So the very tough times, but that's the faith we've got in 2018, where Sun City got to. We believe it'll get back there. We've got a lot of conferences that I'll be booking, but what keeps happening, they just keep getting delayed. So we do expect quite a good 2022. We are seeing more and more bookings coming. We are seeing more and more inquiries. Um, and it, it will come back. I'm very confident that corporates will want to get their staff away. A couple of days away is always good for team morale and uh, team building. So I think Sunsity is the ideal place to go. And with the service and experience improving, uh, there's no doubt we'll, we'll start uh, getting that market back. Um, there is, it's a bone of contention. I mean, there are those that cannot wait to get to a conference, cannot wait to see their colleagues sit down and have a drink on those beautiful patios overlooking the golf courses and overlooking um, the, the, the landscape of Sun City. And there are those that say, hold on a second, but we've learned a new way of working. This interaction, for example, while maybe not as satisfying as sitting face to face in front of a room full of people, is a cost effective and efficient way of doing things. You said it, it's not as satisfying. I think, you know, you can't build team morale over the, over the, the webinar. You can't beat um, the experience of just having a nice dinner together with your, with your colleagues and, and clients. So I absolutely believe it. I think experience around the world, leisure, business travel has picked up. Our biggest concern is not necessarily conferencing, it's more the business travel, it's probably more other parts of our group. I think business travel, sitting and doing sort of face-to-face -face on a computer is not, is not the worst and it's quite quick and easy and it saves a hell of a lot of time and money. So I think the business travel side could be under a little bit more pressure for longer. 
It's certainly conferencing, corporate getaways, mice, what we call meetings, incentives, conference exhibition. That market will come back. Incentivization of staff is very, very important at the moment. And we're working on that. We've given vouchers now so you can book a give a guy a voucher to come to some city. So I think that sort of thing is pretty is important. So incentivizing staff, morale is low. I mean, I'm here at Times Square today uh, trying to talk to the staff, talk to the management team and just get them motivated because people are going through very, very tough times and mentally as well as financially because you know we've had to cut salaries and our management team are still in the lowest, on, on lowest salaries as well as our sort of hourly paid staff who are a lot less hours than they used to. So motivation, incentivization, I'm very confident corporates will realize they have to do more of um, and it might off take some slower conference and come back and some business travel. Have you lost people to other industries where other industries are you know, bubbling along and some are doing well, some are doing better um, when it comes to people within the sort of entertainment, if you like, the hotel industry, the casino industry? Um, they might not find a job to go to within that industry, but they may start sort of looking at new careers altogether, simply can't afford to wait uh, for tourism and, and visitors to return. Yeah, you, you've got a good bit of two sides. You know, your gaming, hospitality staff, they're quite specialized. So your senior staff members tend to be hooked into the industry and, and they're not leaving. Uh, your professional type, your accountants, your lawyers, your um, financial managers, they are starting to look. Um, we haven't lost a lot, to be honest. I think the in, people most like the industry. We have lost a couple. IT skills is probably your biggest risk at the moment. Uh, big banks, especially people that can do sort of internet side of things, um, that is really exploding, and that's where there's a lot of demand. So no, we haven't. Immigration has picked up, and we have lost a few staff to immigration over the last couple of years, and that's probably the biggest risk and the professional. But we are addressing it. We're doing what we can. And I think uh, listically, we haven't lost a lot of people. Um, you know, we spent a naught amount of time most important thing the last year we've stressed is look after your people. First and foremost is our people, not our guests, our people. If they don't look after them, they're not going to look after our guests. So it's been a massive focus from day one. Our communication strategy has been absolutely top-notch. Uh, we really have spent a, most, a lot of time. I've sent out videos. I've taken my garden to staff over lockdown, lockdown. We did a lot of that to try and get some motivation, make it more personable, and get people to see and, and realize what's going on and actually them supporting us as a business. And I think our people are really has been good to see. There've always been a couple of industries that are incredibly worthwhile to be involved in. Amongst them, private education. It's one of the last budget items to be cut. The casino industry has always been a very good one. The sort of sin industries, if you like. Um, the booze industry is good. Tobacco industry has been good. We, we had booze bans, tobacco bans, and of course, casinos have been severely hobbled by the restrictions that you were referring to earlier, the same restrictions that might affect somebody going to uh, the Maslow in Santon for a meal at uh, the Lacuna restaurant. Um, they may very well you know, have been the same sort of people who might have gone to a casino at Sun City or elsewhere. And suddenly that those restrictions are also in place there. And you know, it's more fun to gamble at midnight after a few drinks than it is at three o'clock in the afternoon, quite frankly. Yeah, you think so. I think... Um... Our biggest issue is really our footfall is down. So the more casual gambler, the more guy that goes out just has a bit of fun that's not a regular. That that gambler is largely missing. I'm not saying entirely, but they're largely missing. Then you've obviously got the hour and curfew from the, the sort of more prominent gamblers that uh, have got more time and more time at hand and actually enjoy the game. They're coming, they're still coming, but they're spending less time. I mean, you know, you have to stop serving alcohol at eight and they go at nine. So it's very difficult to manage and get that experience what it was. And hence why when the restrictions are lifted, we do feel we get quite a nice bounce. Um, people will get out, people want to get out and the experience will come back. So we're not, obviously COVID is very tough and where we are is a very tough environment. 
we can't force people to come in. We're never going to. Uh, what we can do is make sure the experience is right, and when they can come, we sort it out, and really, we are ready to host them. And that's that's the focus at the moment. I don't know what you were expecting at the beginning of the pandemic, but I had a sort of a Monty Python view of, oh my goodness me, it's a pandemic and people are going to be falling over in the streets. And I think there was a huge amount of trepidation, but the, the management of COVID-19 and the fact that we are seeing vaccination rates rise, albeit quite slowly, is eliminating some of the worst of the risks associated with the pandemic on an individual basis. Is that coming through in the way in which people are booking, staying, behaving when they're in the premises? Yeah, look, it is. I think the issue really is trying to get people to keep the restrictions. Uh, whatever reason, people, someone doesn't want to wear a mask on a plane. It's like it's hard to imagine right now that they won't. And my daughter told me recently that on her flight was delayed because somebody wouldn't put the mask over the nose. And you start looking at it, you just can't understand it. So we deal with some customers, but the vast majority are pretty compliant and look after themselves um, and do the right thing. So it is something important. We've also got to be on top of our game to make sure our staff are following all procedures. And people are, you know, face sanitized. So, yes, guests are coming out. They do enjoy it. I think it's become a bit of a hoax. You sit down at a table, you can take your mask off, and you've got a glass of water. And you see it. I mean, I've done it three times today when you go into a restaurant. So it's it's quite typical of what's happening at the moment. So the COVID fear is disappearing, I, I, what I see, and especially when people. People are interacting more. They're not having the interaction like they used to, as you say, going up till 12, 2 in the morning. Uh, but certainly the interaction has picked up. And it's going to look better. When that fear of COVID is also something that leads to the wave, so people then become less compliant, less careful, that job of policing and maintaining a happy customer is quite tricky sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Our staff takes some hard time, hard, uh, get some very difficult staff at times. So it is difficult. And then you've got customers trying to find fault with us. And we've had to put a hell of a lot of procedures in. When you've got a full hotel, and you've got to get all these people through in the breakfast area and you've got to say, listen, you've only got an hour. Listen, you've got to move. Uh, you need to move on to the queue. Um, it's very difficult to limit capacity. So that guest experience is quite uh, impacted. I think on the whole, we've managed it pretty well, but it is difficult. Everything's packaged in plastic. You can't serve yourself with a buffet. You've got to serve people. So the guest experience is without a doubt impacted. But, you know, it's hard to manage. Um, we've learned and most people are pretty accepting. So nine out of ten, one out of ten will never accept it and, and always knowing that it's, it's a bad experience. But we have to do what we have to do to comply. We've seen companies across the world start making vaccines mandatory. One South African company at the time that we're speaking has made vaccinations mandatory. Government seems to be working and sort of working with the, the idea that actually there are some industries in which mandatory vaccination could actually be perfectly legitimate. How seriously are you looking at, from a staff perspective, ensuring that your staff are vaccinated? Because that surely then makes the potential customer um, feel considerably more comfortable coming through your doors, spending time in public spaces. Yeah, look, we initially weren't going to man have mandatory vaccinations, but right now we look into it from a legal and with our union, um, and we're just looking into it. Because I think it is absolutely true. We are a hospitality industry, we are staff uh, serving customers, staff interacting with staff, so I think it's important for the safety of our employees and the safety of our guests that we start pushing vaccination. We've done a massive sort of education campaign. Uh, we put ourselves all over on video having the, vac having the vaccination and made sure staff can see it. So we're doing a lot, but it's somehow the uptake's not as, as high as it should be. So we have vaccination centers at four of our properties. And where we don't, we're encouraging staff or giving them lifts to vaccination centers. So we're doing all we can. But we are going to that point where we are going to look at uh, forced vaccination. 
it's such a contentious issue. I mean, and you also, would you ever oblige your customers to show that they've got the vaccine passport for want of a better word? That This is a, a, a potentially very thorny and difficult subject, I understand it, but where is your thinking on it? I'm going to dodge that question because the government can say that. We're not allowed to say that. So I think if the government does it, we'll comply. But certainly, you know, we wouldn't want to restrict the customers to our property. If our staff are well protected, uh, you know, we would hope that there's a higher vaccination rates and that people would be sensible anyway. But uh, I think that's the government. I'm not allowed to um, restrict access on that basis. So really the government would have to enforce that. Right of admission reserved. It's above all of your doorways. I've checked every time I've been thrown out. <laughs> I'm not sure for vaccination. We'd have to have a look at that. But uh, <laughs> um, Give me then a sense of the way in which tourism is changing. Because what I've noticed a lot, um, well, what I used to notice when I could go there, was the growth of the, va the vacation club. And anecdotally, lots of people, as you mentioned earlier, families getting away to places. So what was traditionally um, uh, the den of iniquity in the apartheid era where people used to go for fun that they couldn't have in apartheid South Africa, then became this conference hotel and conference resort. That emphasis has shifted again um, into far more of a family focus, which has been a slow evolution, but now a lot of money going into that. Yeah, it is. Look, Sun City is an integrated resort, and you've got to look at it as such because it will not survive as a vacation club. It will not survive as a hotel. It will not survive as a casino. So it needs all components to be firing. And, uh, now, vaccination, the, the, the vacation club hasn't impacted the hotel occupancy, but certainly the vacation club has brought a new client, a different client that, that probably serves more of the fast foods, Valley of the Waves, um, and restaurants, and a little bit of the casino. Then you've got the hotel, the main hotel that really looks after the casino client primarily. Palace is international guest and local, but at the top end. So you've got all components that all need to fire. Um, you spoke about changing tourism trends. Well, at the moment, there's no internationals. <laughs> but I think, you know, when we look forward, what's going to happen? And, and will the internationals come back? And then, yeah, the view is when you look experience and national, people are tired of being, you know, locked up in their country. So we do see that as a return. There is problems in terms of airlift and, and other factors that have to feed into tourism. So there's a lot of work that's needed by government to, to achieve this. And again, you know, vaccination passports is also needed because if we don't encourage people to come and say, if you're vaccinated, no quarantine, there's no issues. Those are the sort of things that are needed to, to open up the airways, open up uh, travel to internationals, and it's critical. The airlines, domestic airlines, certainly are flying at about two thirds of their pre-COVID capacity. I think the airline industry had grown to about 15 million passengers domestically before COVID. Uh, talking to CEOs of those airline companies now, they look anticipating 10 million customers this year, possibly more next year, depending on those vaccine passports and the returns of the internationals and maybe a pickup in business travel. But it does indicate that there is a lot less movement of people around. How does that then impact your view as to how you emerge from, from, this, uh, from this crisis? Yeah, I think fortunately we're not as big a domestic sort of and I say domestic from Cape Town, not really flying to San City, it's a drive from Gauteng. Yes, you've got some people. So I think that that leisure travel doesn't impact us massively at this point in time. So our, our sort of business, we don't have a massive problem there. We've got a casino in Durban, we don't have a hotel, leisure hotel, for example. So we're not trying to fly people down to Durban. We've got the Table Bay, which is really international. So we need internationals to come back. And that's critical. Then a bit of local airlift is important to get internationals to San City, hopefully. Um, and we're working on those sort of things, Sun City, and then actually doing a joint venture with minor 
getting them onto the Royal Livingston. So we can add that experience, Cape Town, Sun City, and Zambia would be cool. So we do those sort of things to try and get it right. But yeah, so local travel is not a massive thing for us. It's not a massive problem. But the more airlift, the more people you have moving around will ultimately help, help us in the right areas. What's the name of the tourism minister? Ndiwe Sisulu. Oh, just checking. Okay. I, I was wondering because I couldn't remember the last tourism minister became the health minister. And then, you know, it's acting it's a, health minister. Acting, acting health minister. Um, but it's a portfolio that you wonder whether or not it's treated seriously. It is the greatest opportunity to create jobs in an environment where 44% of people in South Africa can't find a job. That's the real number. Um, where the, the 18 uh, or 615 to 34s, 75% almost can't find jobs. And those are people whose first job could be in tourism. Their first job could be in the service industry. That could be their break um, to, to get launched. And so many young South Africans simply aren't getting launched. Is tourism treated seriously enough, in your view, as an asset to the country for, for job creation even, even on that simple basis? I think the president's recognized the value of tourism and he has pushed. The problem is that the other wheels of government aren't turning. So the visa, when they banned, were, were visas for China, Chinese and Indian tourists. So I don't think they quite recognize, or the, or the asserts are not recognized, but the wheels are not turning. It's not turning quick enough to correct these errors they've made in their ways. We all want, don't want child trafficking, but by putting visas like they've done and the restrictions they do is not solving the problem. So I think getting everyone working together, opening up, there's lots of factors in terms of traveling of people, moving people around the country. That's even a challenge with government. So getting these areas fixed and getting government to recognize what's going to unlock tourism is the critical element. You know, we've got an airport at, at Sun City, the Pillensburg Airport. It's a disaster. It is never serviced. You can ride there. There's no fuel for planes. Now, we would ideally like internationals to travel there, but to get that right, to fly directly in there, is just proving to be extremely challenging. Again, roads fixed is critical. Uh, if we don't keep the road to some city maintained, or not us, but certainly government, it will cause a bigger and bigger problem. There's some section of that road are world class, and then you go through some terrible section. So we try to work very hard with government. They are supportive, but the wheels just turn too slow. They need to recognize these things. Infrastructure spend needs to be able to realize they spend the money on the roads, helping tourism and other industries as well, not just that. So I think it's just the wheels and all government departments working together that is the real challenge in terms of getting things right. I mean, I can just imagine the, the, the wonder of a, a charter flight of Swedish golfers, for example, that made their way uh, from, uh, from Sweden or from Norway. Pick, pick, pick your northern European destination in the middle of winter, send them all the way down south to go and play a week of golf at the Gary Player Country Club and at the Ross City course. They'd have the most incredible experience. They'd spend a vast amount of money at the palace and in the yeah. other hotels. They might even gamble, although they're quite restrained as uh, culturally. But that opportunity is a vast and theoretically easy problem to solve. But there are about yeah, a thousand wow. layers of bureaucracy that get in the way of it. Exactly. The international rights for the Pillensburg Airport used to have it's been moved to Mary King. The issue, we put probably get to national landing rights, but now you need the Department of Home Affairs to work, the Department of State Security to work, you need the Health Department to work, you need the airport maintained, and you, you're talking five or six departments of government to come together to get this to happen. So it's not easy. And this is what we are going to try and do it because it's critical. It's a really important element to Sun City. And we do believe that we can get charters out of China, charters out of India, uh, private jets and gold tourism. 
there is the opportunity there. We are looking at it, but ultimately it has to be with government's system. The Pillensburg Nature Reserve is a world-class reserve that's so class. Let me correct that. Has the potential to be a world-class resort uh, or nature reserve if we get it right. It has everything there that's on the doorstep of Sun City, and it will add incredible value to Sun City if we can get it right. But there's, you know, there's problems there in, in the parks board. We need to sort it out. I get the sense of some frustration on your part because you have the elements that you can control and you work very hard to control that, yet you are operating as an efficient private sector entity inside a maelstrom of inefficiency, ineffective policy and rubbish service delivery, um, like so many people and businesses do in South Africa. At some point, do you not get tired of bashing your head against that same series of walls? Yeah, you do get tight. I think it's not just even inefficiency. I think sometimes inefficiency is caused by lack of funds. So, you know, the funding is also required. And this is where we've got to find a way to, to fund these projects. And the, the National Development Plan, or the President's got going, we need to direct the, the, that money to the right areas because the Northwest government is in a difficult situation. You know, the social uplift the government needs to do is massive, but if, they're not going to fix it without growth. They're not going to fix it without creating jobs. So, this is where that focus needs to change from government in terms of the areas of growth creation which and job creation. And that's critical because that's the easiest and quickest way to solve the social problem. It can't just be keeping on more grants and, and grants getting extended further and further. So I think we need to work with government. They need to find the capacity and the way and the funding to fix their areas or elements that they're responsible for and hopefully it'll come right. But inefficiencies, lack of funds, they, they don't go well together. Uh, there's an ancient Chinese proverb, out of crisis comes opportunity, and many, many people over thousands of years have done variations of that. I wonder whether or not you see opportunity being presented um, to you in this crisis, or are you so busy treading water um, and, and slicing and dicing and trying to make sure that you survive the crisis, that you'd absolutely know mood <laughs> to expand at all in a really tough tourism environment. But there are some people who are growing. There are some people who are being opportunistic. Are you feeling in that frame of mind? We, look, we've, we've strengthened our balance sheet quite a lot over the last year. You know, we have the rights issue of 1.2 billion. We sold our Latin operations and some cash flow operations. Our balance sheet, we feel, is pretty strong. Not when you look at trading EBITDA, but when you look at potential capacity, it's actually in very, very healthy, in a healthy place. So we've got a couple of things we're focusing on, which is... Uh, one is, is our online space. We spend a lot more focus there. We are trying to push our, our Sunbet, which is our online sports betting. We launched live games, which is very similar to casino-style games, which you can book on for better. And we are pushing the focus in that way. Our big casino property is not. We constantly look at anything that's odd in the block, and there's been a few, but they're not necessarily the right opportunity. I think so. We are focused probably more into sort of alternate gaming, LPM businesses, uh, online using our casinos, cash cows, getting Sun City right, and, and that's the focus. So more money into vacation club at Sun City would have a much bigger positive impact, and a lot can be done there. So are we opportunistic? We always look, um, but we're not going to go for the necessary massively value-enhancing opportunity. Yeah, I just I recall the Zimbali Hotel being sold for a fraction of what it cost to build. I think in the run-up to the World Cup in 2010, something like 600 million of money, you know, that money back then was spent um, on building the property. And Mark Wexberger, the guy from Capital Hotels, um, went and bought it for 100 million um, and is looking to, to convert that into, uh, sort of restore it back to its 
2010 glory and those sorts of opportunities where you're not paying the replacement value for goodness sake of of physical assets is you know either the smartest thing ever or um you know you end up sitting with a white elephant and i suppose that's the the concern look that probably is always battle it's in bali inside a resort or inside a residential estate like that with various restrictions it's never done well we did look at it um you know, there's a lot of money needs to be invested. So 100 million is for the asset, but it's a big asset. And therefore, it costs a lot to refurb and get it upgraded and get it fixed. So the 100 million is, is taking an underperforming asset that hasn't been worked on, and now there's more money to be spent. So it's very simple when you can buy something cheaply, but then what is the cost of uh, upgrading it, maintaining it, and getting to the right standard? So a lot, a lot of work there. We did look at it. The Morphar Vacation Club, we found, was just not big enough. The rooms weren't the right size. But for other opportunities, it could work. But it's probably not an hour. In our core market, our core focus. But are there other opportunities you might consider, or are you sitting on the sidelines and saying, no. "Let's just make it through this thing, however long it lasts"? No, look, I think you, we can see. I mean, I think most of us can see COVID coming to an end. You know, when we thought last year November, we thought it was end was there. But right now, we almost a year later, and we're still saying, "Well, when is it?" But when you look at what's happening internationally with vacation, with the vaccinations picking up. We believe it's coming to an end. We believe next year will be better, and we certainly got to be ready. Any opportunity like these do take time to consider. So some greenfield vacation club opportunities in other parts of the country we're looking at, we think there's great potential in the right situation, right position. There is a market we spoke about, you mentioned earlier, it's become very popular. Not necessarily timeshare. Our vacation club is not timeshare. It's not the standard timeshare where you just swap around everywhere. Our product is world-class. Our product is a lot better. And then it's what you have on site that is so critical and so key. Uh, how many how many sort of timeshares have the value of the waves on site? Golf courses like we do. So those are important components of any sort of successful vacation club. We do see some potentially on the beach, some in the mountains, um, and there are things, but they are sort of longer term. But there are projects that we constantly look at and see where the opportunities are. When you look at tourism five years from now um the great opportunity that it represents i mean the world wants to open up the world wants foreign direct investment the world wants foreign tourists we've really got a box a lot smarter at the southern tip of africa than many other places because we're not on a major route we're not a hub we're not um, a natural destination we're a final destination rather than en route anywhere else and um it takes a long time to get here and it's expensive to get here and it's pricey once you're here by anybody's standards um um, to to spend any length of time, how do we begin to address these issues um, from a from a country brand perspective, from a location perspective, just geography? Yeah, I think you, you got to look at South Africa's advantages. I mean, what if, why would you come to South Africa? And I think we are a unique destination. We have amazing history, and we have an amazing geography. So I think when you look at what South Africa offers as tourists, and I, and tourism is moving. I mean, you know, to go to New York is, is great and it's nice to see and it's different, but it's a city. It's it's nothing. You know, you can go to a show and you can do a few things. And go to Madison Square Gardens. You go to London. How many times do you want to go? But some cities, I mean, Santa sorry, South Africa, has got so much on to offer: beach, bush, mountains. Um, it's just got such a diverse culture uh, that it really offers people an amazing experience. And tourism is moving towards experiential as opposed to you know, going to see a city, walking around Paris. It's much more, what can I do? What's the activities at play? So sport tourism, we think, is one of the ways to get more people. I'm talking to national tourist side. Come, come stay at Cincy. We'll sort the fields out. There's lots we can do. 
So I do think that experiential tourism is what South Africa should be selling. It's an experience coming to South Africa. It's not here to see a nice museum, a nice painting. That is here in certain respects, but it's a lot more about live, live the experience. And that's where tourism in South Africa must position itself. We do need to reposition it as an experiential destination. And and that has, you know, a lot of tourism operators talk about that. And then SA Tourism has got its own priorities. And of course, its budgets have been slashed and all of that sort of stuff. It then falls upon the individual properties, the individual asset owners to really start promoting their bit of those tourism experiences. Many years ago, Sun International had the root of the African sun, which is just this most glorious, evocative perspective of the Table Bay and Cape Town and Sun City and um, the, the, the Livingston Hotel. I mean, that sort of sense of grandeur and reliving times past, all of that sort of stuff. But it falls upon the shoulders of the brand owners, doesn't it? Uh, it, it does. Uh, SA Tourism tries, and I think we need to work closer with SA Tourism. And the industry has. I think we've seen under lockdown in particular, you know, the industry came together, whether it be, you know, Sogo, Legacy, uh, all the different brands actually sat and we discussed how we're going to get out of this. And I do think we've formed a stronger alliance as an as a industry, and I'm not talking any competitors, the industry to how do we reposition South Africa? We need to work together. We need to find ways, and because we all have limited budgets. And when you go into the national market, it's, it's pretty big to try and cover everyone. You've got to go to the right market and you find the right place. So I think coming out of this, we need to learn to work better together as corporates in terms of not being so preoccupied with them coming to some city, but coming to South Africa. And that what they said tourism, they will, we believe, choose Sun City or a large portion will. So working together, um, I think we can achieve more. And we, we all know budgets are tight, countries' priorities, um, but it's something we could overcome. And I think we can. The thing that strikes me about this discussion with you is, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's really difficult. Yes, it's expensive. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's infuriating. But you are positioning Sun International for recovery. That's where you are. And you don't know whether it'll be three months, six months, eight months, a year, um, but you are positioning for a recovery, which I think is encouraging. Absolutely. I mean, when, you know, when you look back and the value we've lost in terms of just ever God would have made, you know, it, it runs into the three, three and a half billion rand and you're not going to replace it. So you can, you know, you're not going to fill an empty hotel bed that was empty last night. It's done. So you've got to look for, you've got to say, what can we do more? And I think we're at that position where we've done the right things, we're still doing the right things, we've still got more to do. But looking forward, there is a, a end to this, there is some light in the tunnel. Um, and it is getting through COVID. So Africa's got challenges. I mean, the writing case at end, you know, massive impactful. But we also saw that Africans probably rejected that to a large extent. So there is room for optimism. And we've got to be optimistic. We've got to motivate our people, we've got to motivate and see, we've got to do more. So we do have to be seen more in the communities. And that's what we are focused on. The communities around us, we're spending more time and make sure where we invest in the community through our different programs, we're making sure that it's impactful. And we have decided to do more in these areas because they're important to you. And those communities also need you. So I think doing more for communities, working together, that's the way out of this. Um, and that's the way we're looking. So we're looking forward. We believe we're in the right place. We believe we've got the right balance sheet. We've got the right assets. They're starting to perform. They're starting to function well. Um, and yeah, so yes, we're optimistic. We're looking forward to, to better times, but just wish they'd get you quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. Anthony Lili Ming, thank you very much indeed. Anthony is the Chief Executive of Sun International. Ronald, I think it's your turn now. Thank you very much, Bruce and Anthony. Really appreciate that. Um, I, I think the one thing that Anthony said that stuck to me today is everyone in South Africa 
needs to work together. Uh, there's a number of problems and, and, and we touched on them. We need to create growth. We need to create jobs, um, but it's probably in the hands of each and every one of us. And we can also do our fair share for uh, this industry by just all going to get vaccinated. Now, with regards to PSG, PSG is a skilled and trusted financial advisors um, that has shown that they can be invaluable during these uncertain times. They can provide objective insights and help you consider alternative scenarios so you can make considered, rational decisions on your wealth and insurance portfolios. If you have an advisor, I encourage you to engage with them. And if you don't, please, please get in touch with us. Now is the time to make a difference. We welcome your feedback, so please communicate with us and be sure to register for our next exciting speaker in the Think Big series, where we will be talking to Tandim Zimande, CEO of the Solidarity Fund. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining us for this PSG Think Big series podcast. Please do look out for more titles in this series.